Well, I think that was incredible. And I'm so thankful for our musicians at Gables Campus, Daniela and Oscar, and at Kendall Campus, Cindy and Besnick. So let's give it up once again for those that should. It's amazing what you can do with two opposing points held in tension. And you get some violin virtuosity, or you get a little feel, a little lead guitar love. Uh, or in the case of the Gospels, John wants to introduce us to Jesus, who is full of grace and truth. Jesus is full of grace and truth. Would you say that with me? Jesus is full of grace and truth. Two opposing points held in tension that he's, John is inviting us into to see something happening in Jesus that can invite us into the conversation or invite us into making some music in spite of some tension. Uh, a little bit later in that same chapter, John chapter 1, verse 17 says, From the fullness of his grace we have all received, would you say this with me, all campuses, one blessing after another. No, let's do it again. We have all received one blessing after another because the fullness of his grace, that's what he says, Jesus is full of grace. What does that mean for you? That God wants to take the fullness of that grace and translate it into blessing for you. A little bit later in the book of John, Jesus is speaking. This is what he says. You will know the truth and the truth will what? Three words, let's say them all together. Set you free, yes. The fullness of his grace and his truth is to do what? bless you and set you free. And so those two points in tension are inviting us in to the redeeming grace and liberating truth of Jesus so that God's blessing can get into your life and into our world. And this is the plan that he has through Jesus for that to happen. Now, in light of that tension, we've addressed some pretty tough topics in this series. And the one that we enter today, uh, perhaps none has been quite so culturally explosive or personally tender as the one that we're dealing with today, LGBT. And the first thing I need to say is, you know what, this isn't just an air quote issue. You know what, this is about people. This is about people that God loves, people that matter to us, people that matter to God, people that matter to you, people that matter to me. This is about people. It's not simply about, quote, an issue, okay? Um, as if any of us can talk about any of these with uh, some sense of objective perspective. I don't know that that exists around this topic. But people matter to God. People matter to us people made in God's image who are loved so profoundly by God that he enters into our history for them, that he clothes himself, God's self, in full humanity for them, that he then lives a fully obedient life to God's truth for them, and then is nailed to a Roman executioner's rack for them, and um, all because of love. And now what I wanna ask you is, I wonder who you think them is and what I just said. Because the them I'm talking about is you. I'm talking about you. I'm not, I'm not thinking about anybody else right now except you. I would love for you to apply what I just said to you personally. It's what we sang about, and now I'm just reminding you, you are the one that matters that much to God. You matter that much to God. You exist as evidence of the divine. 
You are not divine, but you exist as evidence of the divine. This is what Scripture teaches, that you are made in God's image, that you are made after his likeness, and that you are made to have dominion in life. That means that human beings are here as an expression of God's person, God's presence, and God's power in this life. And God so loves you that he, he loves you so much that when you are at risk, and don't we know this is a world at risk with consequence, You don't have to read the Bible to know that. You just live a day, live a week, live a while. This is a world of risk and consequence. But the scripture does echo that. What you reap is what you sow. So the choices we make do have consequences on the life that we experience, where the wages of sin is death. Sin is a reality in this world, and consequences come that create death scenarios out of it. In fact, <laughs> the risk and the consequence are so great that God has given us such personal freedom that it is possible for a human being to commit a sin that even God says is unpardonable. Did you know that? This is what Jesus taught. That sin is called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And it occurs in Mark, Matthew, and Luke. It's not the topic today, but I'm just bringing it up because this is, risks are real in this world. Freedom is real, risk are real, consequence is real, and Jesus loves you so much that when you are at risk, God doesn't want to lose you. So he does for you what you can't do for yourself, and then Romans 5.8 tells us this way. It says that he showed his love for us and that while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. He doesn't wait till we get our act together. He doesn't wait till we clean up our lives, you know. He, does, he dies for us while we're still sinning. And then, this is what he did for me, by the way. You know, I was, I was far from God and deep in sin, and he, I discovered, oh my goodness, that was for me like this? Yes, you can't clean yourself up, but I can help. And that's how it began for me. And then he says, I want to put the Holy Spirit in you so that you can be empowered to live a better way and for another day. And so that's the gospel truth. So the reason I'm stating that this way and starting the message this way is because Christ followers, this is the way Christ followers think and believe about people. This is the foundation stone of the gospel in the way God loves. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. That's what I'm trying to say. God loves you. Okay, amen. Come on, Althea. Do you hear her in Kindle? Yeah, did you hear that amen echoing back out there? Yeah, I got it. But now here's what I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine that love applying with equal depth, width, height, and length to somebody who holds a precisely opposite view than you do. Because that's the way God loves them too, whoever them is. I'm just saying, he's, you know, he loves you, but he loves people who don't agree with you on stuff. And on this issue, I'm telling you, uh, this, uh, that's a hard thing to do, to, to say that, to believe that, to think that, don't we? Because it's not how life is. It sounds great, but it just doesn't happen in this world, at least not without sacrifice. That's what we know. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to show it. But it is still the foundation stone of the gospel, God loves every one of us as, each there were on, as if there were only one of us to love. And he has poured himself out in Christ for us, even people with whom we disagree. And there's no shortage of disagreement on this topic. Um, and not merely mental disagreement about terms, what terms are gonna be used. 
But no, there's emotional disagreement here. There's anguish, there's confusion, there's fear, there's anger, there's rejection, there's the smear of blame and shame and pain that's involved. Uh, accusations of bigotry and discrimination abound, not without reason, you know. Maybe you've got some that you're thinking the culture wars rage on and they just foment this kind of uh, indignation and loneliness on all sides. So we live, though we're supposed to be very connected, we live in a very connect, disconnected time right now. On one side concerning this topic, activists demand unqualified acceptance of homosexual behavior. On the other side comes unqualified condemnation of the behavior. Now, perhaps those views are represented by people listening today, even right now. And so that leads me to say, you know what, maybe it really is truly naive of me to think that uh, there's a way to follow Jesus in this conversation. That you're going to make music out of this tension? Who are you kidding? Right? Maybe this is the one that's just too big for God. Maybe we finally found it. This is it. This one's too big for God. Or maybe it's just too big for us. We're not quite big enough to get there with God or with God in Christ, who is our Lord. This is Christ Journey Church, and we're seeking to follow him. But I just want to believe it could happen. I want to believe that he could show, could Jesus show us the way into a demilitarized zone where people agree to disagree and then disagree without dishonoring one another, that's part of the DNA of our church family. And then we still, we let the Bible speak. We have an open Bible and open minds and open hearts, but we let the Bible speak in its context, and then we filter all of its applications through Jesus Christ, who is the Godhead in bodily form, the Word made flesh. That's why every series, every message in the series, we've backed right back up to that truth because Jesus is modeling for us how it's supposed to look when you love people with whom you don't agree. And so we've seen that throughout the series. But not only does God offer love, but then he offers forgiveness in himself for every person and every sin of every kind. And then he says, I want you to grow to be like me which means transformation is now part of the process. That he doesn't want to leave me where I've been, but that he wants to keep me growing into the image of Christ. And this is God's plan for my life. Now that's a big order, would you agree? You want to say that's a big order? No, you don't want to say anything, I know. I can tell by looking at you. It's like, but you're thinking it. I already know that. Man, that's a big order. Yeah, and these are tough topics, aren't they? And this is a tough topic too. <laughs> But we're tough people too, aren't we? At least I think I'm, I'm pretty tough. But I gotta tell you, the day that someone very special and close to me, whom I love with all of my soul and all of my life, declared and identified as same-sex attracted and then sometime later identified as same-sex married, I didn't feel so tough. You know, I felt, I felt like I'm entering into a season of challenge and change in my life, and how's this going to work, and what's this mean? 
for me and the scripture and my Lord and my life and my, my family. Now, there's a story for somebody else to tell, but I can tell you the story that I've been on has taken me into places of learning and listening at deeper levels because someone I deeply and dearly love has identified as same-sex attracted. Now, I can tell you that I've always thought through all of my life since I came to Christ that I have a deep, abiding relationship with God. But I want to tell you, over the past several years, it's gotten deeper. I always thought that I had a strong faith in the word, and I was strong in the word, and that I was strong in loving people, but I can tell you this, <laughs> I've gotten stronger over the past few years. And I think it's honest for me to say, and I need to say this, that I would not have gone as deeply into this subject matter had I not had someone whom I dearly and deeply love who's in it. So here's the thing, you know, this isn't just about somebody out there. This is about people right here. And here's the other thing that I need to tell you. It's not just me. You know what you said on the survey that we did? I said that this survey just invited everybody who would in Christ's journey family to respond. Here's what you said. We had responses in every relational category. The statement simply said this, I love someone who identifies as LGBTQ, and 3% said, oh, that would be me. That's me. 1% said, oh, it's my mom, my dad. 5% said, no, that's my kids. 6% said, that's my brother or my sister. My extended family, 27%. My close friendships, 38%. All total, 300 of those responding out of 500 said, I got somebody in my life that I love who's identifying as LGBT. And you know, after I made my announcement of my family experience, I had people coming to me privately, kind of like Nicodemus by night, you know. Oh, pastor. And they want to talk about themselves, some did. Some wanted to talk about their kids. Some wanted to talk about how do I, I'm a parent, but I didn't, I don't know what to do. I don't see this coming, you know. Uh, how do I, they're searching for a process, where a place to just process through, to share their bewilderment, to share their fear, to try to process through the vulnerability. And so these kinds of uncertainties. I, I love my kids, and, and yet I feel they're conflicted and they're, they're confused about their sexual identity, and some were concerned that their families would reject their kids. Some feared that their kids would be ridiculed or bullied or worse. Some were concerned they would hurt themselves because we read stories in local papers about adolescents who do harm to themselves around this topic. And I think every one of them came saying this, what does the Bible say, Pastor? And what does it mean? I mean what does it mean for my son? What does it mean for my daughter? And what does our church believe? You know, lots of questions. And I can't, I can't speak for every person in the church, but here's my heart on this. I have, been, I have tried and still am seeking to be full of grace and truth for the parents who have come to me in sharing this journey and, um, and seeking to how do we enter the conversation? Because it is a conversation. This is not a, this is not a soundbite thing. Uh, this is not a bumper sticker. This is a conversation that needs to be had. 
in the midst of a very disconnected, controversial time. So, as we've also seen in earlier messages, it's not just enough for Christ followers to say, well, what does the Bible say? What do we have to ask? How did Jesus do it? Because Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And so when we want to understand how do we apply the Scripture in real life, then we look to see how did Jesus live it out? And so we want to do that with this topic as well. Um, so what I'm saying is this is not a short uh, um, one and done kind of thing. This is, we've opened the conversation before, we're opening it again today, and I'm hoping that uh, perhaps your presence has said, well, we'd like to figure out how do we on-ramp to get there? And I have to tell you, you'll do it by being offended. Maybe I've already offended somebody. Maybe it was you. But that's not a bad thing, you know? It's not a bad thing to, to find yourself stretched into places that you didn't expect yourself to go and yet find Jesus there. And maybe I'm wondering too, because some of us are here for others that we love, and you're trying to figure out, maybe you could figure out how's a way to enter the conversation for those 300 names that we already listed in our survey, that we said we know people, we love people who have identified, but maybe you found yourself not knowing what to say, what to do, how, to, how, do you, how do you hold to a biblical faith and follow Jesus at the same time? Uh, how do you do grace and truth? How do I make some music with these tensions? You know, I've got the opposing points and I've got the tensions, but, but now what? So... There is no way, you already know this, that a single talk on a Sunday morning can cover all the necessary concerns. So what we're going to do this afternoon is expand the time, take two hours at a workshop, 4 to 6 p.m., and I've invited a good friend, a pastoral partner of mine, Dr. Travis Collins, who pastors the First Baptist Church of Huntsville, Alabama, uh, to come. In fact, I'm going to invite Travis to come now. If you would give him a warm welcome as Travis comes. Thank you, man. Thank you, Bill. Great to see you. Travis, uh, you're wondering why am I inviting him? Well, one reason is because in his personal and professional work as a minister that um, he's written, recently written a book called, um, there it is, What Does It Mean to Be Welcoming, Navigating LGBT Questions in Your Church? Now, Travis and I have known each other for at least two decades and have been involved in good fellowship together with other ministry uh, colleagues. Um, but during that time, well, let me tell you this about him as well. Uh, he and his wife, Carrie, were missionaries to Nigeria for a season. You've been a missionary in Venezuela for two, three years, yeah. I guess. Um, and then the other claim to fame that ties them to UBC or to Christ's Journey, University Baptist Church, now Christ's Journey, is that Ralph Langley, who was a very popular uh, pastor and leader of this church, became the pastor at First Baptist Huntsville there. So, uh, so you and I... You, thank you so much for hosting me, by the way, at your home when we yeah. did a recognition celebration for Dr. Langley. It yeah. was great to see him and to be with you. And, um, but, okay, so let me, um, let me invite you just to tell us, how did you come to write a book? Where well, uh, t a decade ago, I was a pastor in Richmond, Virginia, and uh, there were lots, lots of hallway conversations that eventually became a formal conversation about... LGBTQ persons and uh, how do we as a church respond. So I wrote a little booklet to help try to inform that conversation. Then I left to go work with this movement called Fresh Expressions, we'll get into that, but I became a, an, um, 
an interim pastor at a church that uh, was going to have this conversation. So I expanded what I'd done. It became a little bigger booklet. And then when I became pastor at First Baptist Huntsville, uh, I knew going that they wanted to have this conversation. And so it was on my desk when I arrived. And so I worked. We had a five-month-long conversation. And um, so to inform that, I expanded what I'd done. It became a little book, and then InterVarsity Press heard about it, and thus the book. Yeah, and I'm very thankful because at that same time, I was doing my research as well, and uh, Travis trusted me with an early copy of your manuscript, not to be distributed anywhere, but as I read it, I realized that of the some 40-plus books that I had been reading to try to inform myself about what what the issue means, what, what does, what do we do, what do we, how do we respond, that I found many of those authors, the most germane quotes from their work is included in your book, and I thought, man, this is something that people, if you're wanting to educate yourself quickly about uh, a Christian response and perspective, then Travis's book is a great tool and assistance Thanks, in man. that, so appreciate it very much. Um, but I also know that it's going to form some of the outline for the workshop today, so tell us what that would be. Yeah, we'll do four main things this afternoon. We'll begin with ex- exposing what I believe are some myths like um, people who are same-sex attracted, well, their parents just messed up. I mean, that's a, that's a myth. Or it's just a generational thing. Well, that's a myth, I believe. And um, things like if a person wants to change his or her sexual orientation, then all it takes is a good therapist and a good attitude and a little while, and, and, and I think that's a myth. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about why some followers of Jesus affirm uh, same-sex uh, intimacy and marriage, and then third, we'll talk about why some followers of Jesus do not affirm same-sex marriage and intimacy, and then fourth, we'll talk about where do we go from here? Where does the church go from here? Where does an, uh, a same-sex attracted follower of Jesus go from here? And uh, where do you and I, all of us as followers of Jesus, go from here? Uh, I'm sure somebody's going to disagree with me on this, but when I read your book and read your manuscript, I've, I felt like uh, the second question was probably one that many people have not even been made aware of, that there are certain Christian perspectives that are affirming. And I felt like your treatment was respectable and even and fair mm, well, and... Uh, and very personal, too. And some of the letters were, uh, I could tell, were pastoral care letters that had, been, that had come out. Of, I was assuming they were coming yeah. out of your ministry. Yeah. Um, but as soon as we get into the conversation, something immediately snags, at least in conversations I've had. And there are two snag points that I'd really love for you to respond to while we're uh, together this morning. First is the belief that, uh, well, if I'm a devoted Christian, then... When I love somebody who identifies as LGBTQ, aren't I compromising my beliefs um, by, by loving them? Is there some, am I repudiating my core base values by connecting in that way? And, and I do appreciate people who hold their convictions deeply. I think it's far too rare, quite frankly. However, the heart of the Christian faith is grace, which I understand to be God's unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, unrelenting love toward us. You might have wondered about the difference between grace and mercy. It's just a, there's just a fine line of difference. Tony Campolo posed the question to a crowd once, what's the difference between mercy and grace? And a little boy stood. And he said, if you're driving down the road and you're speeding and the policeman pulls you over and 
and he or she gives you a ticket for speeding, well, that's justice. But if you're driving down the road and you're speeding and the police pulls you over and he or she gives you a warning, well, that's mercy. But if you're driving down the road and you're speeding and the police pull you over and uh, he or she gives you a a box of Krispy Kreme donuts, well, that's grace. So that's a good way to remember the difference between mercy and grace. To paraphrase uh, Peter Scazzaro, uh, although all of us, every one of us, is more sinful, more weak, and more scarred than we would dare admit, we are more deeply loved than we would dare to dream. Amen. And the Bible says in... Um, 1 Peter 4.10, that we're to be stewards of God's grace, so it's not supposed to flow only this way, but it's supposed to flow this way. We're supposed to be managers, distributors of, of grace. Grace does not mean anything goes. The book of Jude, in fact, says, warns us, don't use grace as a license for immorality. However, Grace is unconditional, undeserved, unlimited, unrelenting love that's supposed to flow here and then be managed here. And I would want you to remember, if you don't remember anything else from the whole day, I want you to remember this quote from a wonderful book titled True Faced. It it says, Grace is the face that love wears when it meets imperfection. I'm going to say that a couple of times, and then we're all going to say it together. And I'm a guest, so you'll hurt my feelings if you all don't say it, okay? Grace is the face that love wears when it meets imperfection. Say that with me. Grace Grace is is the the face face that that love love wears wears when it it meets meets imperfection. imperfection. Once more. Grace (laughs) is the face that love wears when it meets imperfection. Amen. That's beautiful, Travis. Um, Well, the other snag, if there's... If the pendulum swung to the other side of the, of the spectrum is when people um, who are in disagreement, once again, will say about a conservative Christian or somebody who holds to a more conservative position, well, it's because you're homophobic and a bigot. Yeah. And um, what do we do with that? Yeah. So let me talk about Chick-fil-A. And I don't get free chicken for doing this, by the way. <laughs> Chick-fil-A is often in the news over this topic. In fact, uh, recently an airport in San Antonio refused to let Chick-fil-A come in over over this discussion. And and so surrounding that, there was an article I saw on uh, social media that a group is protesting Chick-fil-A because Chick-fil-A supports anti-LGBTQ people. And so I wondered, who are they supporting who are anti-LGBTQ? And so I clicked on the link. There were three. One was a... um, a, a children's home that I'd not heard of. The second was the Salvation Army. The third was Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And I thought, really? The, Salvation Army and LGBTQ or F, FCA. And, and the, re, the thing is that, that Salvation Army and FCA have a traditional position on marriage and sexuality. And so that was frustrating for me, that, that Salvation Army, or even Chick-fil-A. So I know Tr- Trudy Cathy, who is the daughter of Truett Cathy, the founder Trudy and her husband, John, were members of our church in Richmond, and they've since moved to Atlanta. They're part of the the core executive team of Chick-fil-A. I know their hearts. They do have a traditional position on sexuality and marriage, but they they don't hold ill will toward LGBTQ people. They they wouldn't want them to be bullied. They wouldn't want their rights to be denied them. And 
And so it was frustrating to me to see that story, but it was also informative. It helps me remember that there are, are same-sex attracted people who are hurt, who've been deeply hurt by people who hold a traditional viewpoint. And, and there are some knuckleheads on uh, my side of the conversation, quite frankly. And You're being polite. Do what? You're being polite. Well, <laughs> yeah, I am. And, um, and so it, it helps me remember that, that the church is bullied, that the church has hurt people. And so t- the stories like that are both a bit frustrating but also informative for me. But, I mean, honestly, there are Bible passages that seem to be very poignant and clear about if I believe the Bible, then... I mean, are we going to deal with those? Yeah, we Somebody's will. And, wondering already. Yeah, there are eight clobber passages that people talk about, and we will talk about them. Um, Leviticus, quite frankly, is really complex. I mean, it's hard to make a point either way with Leviticus. Sodom and Gomorrah is a story about homosexuality, but it's mainly a story about rape, about violent sex, not, not about monogamous committed relationships, so that's not real helpful. But there are some, like Romans 1 and 1 Corinthians 6, that we have to deal with. And, and Romans 1, uh, I won't read it, but I'll say um, it begins with idolatry, which is putting our, substituting our preferences for God's standards, and then it moves into relationships between men and men and women and women, and, and, and it, it talks about the natural, what is natural, which it goes back to Genesis when God created us male and female. And I know there are people who will disagree with my interpretation of that, but a plain reading of Romans 1, for example, uh, I believe, says that same-sex intimacy is beyond uh, God's boundaries or intentions for us. And you're gonna, we'll, you'll take us through that in the workshop we'll, this sure. afternoon. Yeah. Um, well, one of the things that you probably heard me say this morning was that it's not enough just to say, what does the Bible say, but how did Jesus deal with it? Did Jesus deal with this topic? Not that we know of. There's no record of his addressing this. I didn't either for the first 20 years of my ministry because it it wasn't a hot topic. But Jesus did tell us and show us how to deal with people who've been marginalized and scandalized, like the woman dragged from the tent during the Feast of Booths by the Pharisees, shoved out into the middle of the crowd listening to Jesus, and she stood there half-dressed and fully ashamed. and, And Jesus, at the end of the story, after the let him without sin throw the first stone and all that. He says to her, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. He says, go and sin no more. You, you are not created for this. You are not created to be someone's secret mistress. You are not created to be someone's one-night stand. You were created for greatness. You are my princess. You, th- go and don't do this anymore. But he also said, I don't condemn you. He condemned adultery. In fact, he he, he stretched adultery to be more than just a physical act, but, but the, the, the the thoughts and the feelings of the heart. And, and so he condemned adultery, but he said, I don't condemn you. And so this is what I would want to leave with you, if, uh, whether you're able to come this afternoon or remember anything else other than that quote about the face that love wears. I would want you to hear that you are not condemned. Uh, do you know what condemned means? Maybe this will help. Have you ever seen a house with a condemned sign? You know, the the, the porch is, is rotting and uh, the, the grass is overgrown and the windows are shuttered up and uh, are boarded up. And, um, and that sign, what it really means is filthy, but dangerous, best days behind it. This house no longer deserves to hear uh, the, 
the laughter of children or to experience the warmth of a family reunion, this house is done. And I've, I've met, I've been doing this so long, I've met lots of people who feel like they have a, a condemned sign hanging around their neck and the necks and the accuser, the enemy, is whispering in your ear, you are condemned. But please hear the words of Jesus, I do not condemn you. We are who he says we are. We are his sons and his daughters. And he carries your picture in his wallet. He's got your artwork on his refrigerator, and he sings over you. He, you are. And some of you are still playing some tapes in your heads. God doesn't watch those tapes. You are not defined by your worst decision. You are not condemned. Amen. Thank you, man. Yeah, man. Well, looking forward to the workshop. How about you? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Thank you so much, Travis. Appreciate it. Thank you. If you're unable to join us at 4 o'clock today, then we put some resources in the Christ Journey app as we have each week for you to reference. There's a guidebook in there for parents that maybe would be helpful to you. There's a uh, Guidebook in there for teenagers as well, a Christian teen's guide to understanding homosexuality. And, um, and I think I would like to simply take a turn to John 3, 17. You probably heard John 3, 16, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Do you know what verse 17 says? Here it is. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Jesus, our friend of sinners, said that he came not for the healthy, but for the sick. Now that doesn't, that doesn't presume that everybody's healthy. It means that only the ones who feel their need will appreciate the medicine he brings. And Jesus had people that by perception looked very righteous when you were looking at them. And yet he said, you know, you have eyes, but you can't see. You have ears, but you're not hearing. Your hearts are hard. And so sometimes self-righteousness keeps us from seeing our own need, which means that we don't get the medicine because we think, hey, I'm good. On the other hand, the pendulum also swings to those that are practicing vice. And I can speak to this one by personal experience that the dark can get in your eyes and then you stop seeing things. And the volume needs to increase to keep the high getting higher and the hardness sets in. So both self-righteousness and self-indulgence are sinful, Jesus taught, and can lead you into a place where you refuse to say, I'm poor in spirit. But that's the first step forward, is saying, oh, I'm not good. I don't have it all together. I need help. And then Jesus says, so I've got some medicine for you. If you know you're in need, then Jesus has got some medicine for you. Which then made me think about when I was taking lifeguard training courses some years ago now uh, so that I could save people that were drowning. And I remember one day being told that if you can't pitch them a line or you can't get them a flotation device and you find that you have to approach them in the water, then here's what you should do. This was a technique I'd never learned before. They said, let them go down before you try to lift them up. Really? 
Yeah, check me out on it. Look it up yourself. But sometimes a person needs to go down before you can lift them up. And then they even say this. For lifeguard, what you should do is when they're going down, then you come around behind them, sneak up behind them, and then take a firm grasp and then lead them to safety, you know, once you've got them in your grasp. I was reading an article by a female beach lifeguard who said that her greatest frustration is when she sees people that she needs to save, they don't think they need saving. And so what she does, she'll swim out to them, pitch the flotation device, and then swim away until they take hold of it. And I thought, how like us? How like me? No, I'm good. No, I'm good. I'm good. Blah, 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 blah. I'm good. Until I see my need, I'm not going to take the medicine. So what I'm wondering is if Jesus would, would want you to see, if, you'll, if you're open, would you let him help you see that maybe you're a little poor in spirit, maybe you could let him sneak up on you today and come for you instead of for them, whoever they are, and then we all get to share Jesus together as our Savior. Help us, Lord, to see what we don't see about ourselves, that as we open your word, you would open our understanding and help us look and reflect as we listen to you about how to respond and then let you show us the way where shame can meet grace and new hope can be born. Our heads still bowed, but maybe this is the day for new hope to be born for someone, perhaps you. Every week, I say a prayer, something like this, and invite those who would like to begin a relationship with Jesus to join me. Lord Jesus, I open my life to you. I invite you to come into my heart. Forgive my sin. Fill me with your spirit. I'm turning from my way to learn how to grow your way. Lead me now as I trust you. Now our head's still bowed, but if you prayed that prayer with me and would let me ask God's blessing upon your next steps of faith, would you simply raise your hand and keep it up for a moment so that I can find you? If you're joining us online, you can click right there on the screen. Thank you to my right, I see you right here toward the front and the middle, God bless you. Amen, toward the back. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And here in the center. Lord, for every person who by uplifted hand is saying, my heart is open and I am, <laughs> sneak up on me. Show yourself to me. Fill me with your spirit. Surprise me, Lord, with your grace. I receive it. May they sense your arm around them now as we make our prayer in your name, amen.